This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello everybody and welcome to this special episode on Teachers Talk Radio covering the launch of The Unspeakable Truth About Children, which is a new movie, documentary movie, uh, by uh, Michaela Freeschool, uh, particularly Catherine Burble Singh, uh, driving it forward. Uh, the premiere was in London on the 11th of May 2022 and I attended it. Um, what you're going to hear uh, in this show is first of all, following the premiere of the movie, uh, there was a, a short interview between Daniel Hanan and Catherine Burblesing. Uh, apologies for the audio quality on the interview. It is, it is listenable, but perhaps not to the, to the standard that we, we always enjoy on Teachers Talk Radio, but it's certainly worth, very much worth listening to. Some really, really interesting questions and answers um, and, and absolutely exclusive to Teachers Talk Radio. And then following that, I've got a little interview with Barry Smith, which is at the end of that interview, uh, where he shares his reaction to the movie. Now, first of all, what do I think uh, about the movie? So the movie was divided into, I think, 12 or 13, if you like, rules or principles uh, about running a school. Uh, each one of them obviously reflected the practice within Michaela. Now, I visited Michaela two or three years ago uh, myself. Um, I saw... The, the the silent corridors the you know the 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 classrooms the the children in the classrooms the style of teaching I was able to stand in the corridors and see doors open and teachers teaching and it was exactly what I thought it would be um, we're going back before the pandemic now which seems like a distant memory to me I'm sure it does to you too everything before the pandemic seems to fade into some kind of sub life like it you know like it didn't happen but it did um, and and I just remember being recognizing how different it was from a lot of the the schools I'd seen it was very unique anybody who visit visits Michaela will be able to see its uniqueness and how different it is from uh from from I, I don't know whether from anything but certainly I would be surprised if people didn't have a reaction to it whether that be positive or negative and people have you know people have gone and they've they've had a reaction to it um, and it's very rare that you'll you'll have a place or a school or whatever where everyone has a reaction to it. Everyone has an opinion. You know, um, often you might visit a school or an education establishment. You might walk out. You might forget about it the next day. You, you're never gonna you're never gonna forget a visit to Michaela. And particularly, uh, I was able to sit down and interview Catherine Burble Singh on that occasion, as I have done since on Teachers Talk Radio as well. So, so the movie was divided up into these 12 parts. It was about life in Michaela. It detailed the journey of two students through Michaela who'd arrived in there uh, on managed transfers uh, from other schools. And it, it basically detailed their engagement with their teachers and the way in which they settled in uh, to that community. That was a central strand running through the movie. Um, and, and there were lots of kind of clips of the staff interacting with the students, the staff engaging with the students. Uh, and it, it gave an insight into the way in which uh, daily life in Michaela functions and runs. 
which was really, really interesting uh, to see how it actually worked, to see Catherine Burwell Singh talking with a few students. Uh, there was a few amusing bits where they were in a detention and, and uh, Catherine had to speak to one of the students in the detention. And, and I just thought, oh, my God, he's going to be he's going to. He's going to be scared right now. <laughs> when, I saw, when I saw her walking in, I thought, oh, my God, if I was that student, I'd be, I'd be trying to run out of the detention hall. Obviously, he had nowhere to go and he got a dressing down, as you kind of expect. Um, and of course, very, very much. I mean, I know when the movie is going to premiere on ITV and I think that's next week or the week after, it's going to be called Britain's Strictest Head Teacher. And certainly, you know, there was a lot of, of kind of playing to that within the documentary. You know, it was very much presenting that that impression of of Catherine as, as Britain's strictest head teacher. But it also showcased the other members of staff and it gave insight into the way they see things and the way they go about their approach. And, you know, I would imagine that there will be critics. There will be people who will watch the movie and we'll see staff uh, kind of, uh, how would you say, I'm, I'm sure they would they would term it as dressing down students. I'm sure others would see it as disciplining. I'm sure others would see it as having a restorative conversation either. But, but um, you, you see a lot of interactions between staff and students. And I saw a reaction on Twitter, actually, to the trailer being launched. There was a quite a bit of reaction to it. Most of it very positive. There was a few uh, negative reactions to it, um, as you'd expect. Uh, people, you know, kind of saying, you know, I don't think that's the way to speak to students and so on. Be interesting to see when it comes out on ITV what, what the reaction is from, from the wider education community and from the press. And I'm sure... I'm sure Catherine and the rest of the Michaela staff will will anticipate some strong reactions to it. A few of the teachers in the documentary didn't hold back. They definitely had their opinions. Um, it was really, really interesting. There was a lot. There was one of the principles that was about uh, music and culture. Rap in particular got a, got a good old uh, uh, talking to um, in terms of its influence on, on inner city students. Um, and I know that's something, again, that, that I discussed in detail with Catherine. If you just search on ttradio.org forward slash listen back, search for Catherine Burbelstein, you can hear that interview I did with her where we discussed music culture and its infiltration into schools and her view on uh, the impact of that culture on students. And, and that came up again in the movie, um, not just from Catherine, but also from other members of staff at Michaela who who talked about almost trying to protect students from from outside influences, whether that be smartphones, whether that be music, rap, drill, uh, whether that be drugs, gangs, you know, all the rest of it. And and creating, if you like, a, a bubble, a safe bubble uh, at Michaela. So it was it was a really, really interesting watch. And I'm really looking forward to to seeing it again on ITV. I know it'll be a shortened down version, an edited version on ITV. It won't be the full hit. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be interesting to see the reaction on, on social media. So sit back and enjoy the interview with Catherine. Uh, Daniel Hannan is asking the questions. He's a writer and former politician uh, and is an advisor on the Board of Trade currently uh, for the Conservative Party. He was, introduced, uh, he was interviewing Catherine um, at the event. So you can hear the full interview next, followed by the reaction from Barry Smith, who is a former teacher at Michaela. Please do yourself a favour and go. There are some things that you can get a pretty good impression. You think, oh, I've watched the film, right? I've seen that, I don't really need to see it. 
I put the Mona Lisa in that category, right? You go all the way to the movie, you queue up, and it's just like you've seen it in a million reproductions, posters, and posters, right? And then there are things like the Taj Mahal that you cannot get a real impression of unless you're there. And Mikhaila is in that second category. And when you when you head back to Wembley Park, you, you will be uh, feeling purer and elevated and wiser as the tube rattles you onto wherever you're going. So do, if you haven't yet done so, uh, go. But Catherine, let, let me uh, let me just ask you the most obvious question. Do you think that was a fair portrayal of you and of the school? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, um, people when they come in, they always concentrate on the and it's hard to catch uh, the warmth and the love because how do you catch it? It's really hard. So I think if you come, you'll find a lot more love and warmth perhaps than you see yet. Um, uh, but but um, it has to be said that you know uh, I must have had 30, 35, 40 uh, documentary makers, production companies contact the school and wanting to do the documentary and I would say no to all of them. Uh, and Nell Butler, who did this, who spoke to us earlier, um, you know, I'm very grateful to her because in the end, I mean, I, I, I said, I, at first when she asked us many years ago, I said no, and then eventually I, I said yes. And um, I think, you know, she's a sort of lefty liberal herself. <laughs> and I think, you know, especially given, you know, where she's coming from, for her to have um, seen the things that she did, uh, it was, um, well, it's really, it was, it's really impressive. Um, so in that sense, yeah, it's, uh, in that sense, I do think she gave us a fair hearing, and I think she uh, was open-minded enough to, uh, allow the school to question some of her views, you know? And that's all you can ever ask of anyone, which is to just um, just be open-minded enough to think, well, maybe I was wrong about something, you know? <coughs> I wonder if we could just explore the, the center, the center argument, the strictness, if I can ask the strictness head in further, uh, <laughs> the, the strictness point. Uh, and let me put a, a, a counter-argument that isn't a lefty liberal one. Uh, but it's the argument that one hears, it was particularly well enunciated uh, by Jonathan Haidt and Gregor Garth in The Problem of the American Mind. And their argument goes something like this. Uh, a lot of the problem with fragile children and with snowflake seeds is, on the contrary, not that they've had uh, uh, too few boundaries, but they've had too much supervision. Uh, we are, they're, they're less likely than any previous generation to walk to school, to cycle to school, uh, they haven't had nearly as much unscheduled time where they've been told, you decide what game you're playing, you decide who's in which team, and you sort out. If somebody scrapes their knee, it's your problem. Uh, and therefore, they don't uh, mature in the same way to adults as to their uh, previous generations would have done. Uh, what, do you, what do you make of that uh, as applied to, to Michaela? Well, I, I sort of wish they had less freedom than they do. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, when they aren't at school, uh, they get up to all sorts. You know, uh, staff at the school will say that they'll be out, I don't know, having a dog late at night, you know, 
uh, nine, ten o'clock, and they'll run into, run into the kids hanging out in the street. Um, they, too many of them, uh, don't have uh, as many boundaries as I'd like them to have at home. Um, and I find that the children who do have boundaries are the ones who are able to make the most success of their lives. I think that Jonathan Haidt, and you know, I know the covering mind, and I know Jonathan Haidt, I mean, I, when he talks about that, he's talking about a very particular section of society. Uh, he's critical of that helicopter parenting, which, um, which I would agree with. It's just that he's not really talking about the kids from... from no, we, that, that, that came across very well mm. in the film. But I mean, let, let me take a, the specific example that is, is something that strikes a lot of people as the, as the weirdest thing, which is the no phones policy. Now, yeah. uh, I, I'm sure all the parents in the room will have a lot of sympathy with taking phones away. Mm. But if we think about it in terms of uh, development and preparation for uh, life afterwards, we want our kids to leave school knowing how to use a phone sensibly. It, it's an extraordinary source of information, uh, but it's also as we know, a source of, uh, of addiction and so on. So is just taking it away the answer, or is it about uh, showing them how to use it responsibly? Where do you draw the balance between, if you like, and, and, and I'm sure you can see where I'm going with this, it, it applies not just to phones, but to, to everyone. Yeah, so I think that it depends on the age of the child. We don't, for instance, teach them to smoke responsibly, or to have sex responsibly, or to drink alcohol, or drive responsibly. Uh, we don't let them get married. There's a whole bunch of things that we don't let children do. Um, and I think that's a good thing, that we stop them from doing those things. And then there are certain things that we allow them to do earlier. So, you know, at 16, um, when at 17 you're allowed to drive, at 16 you're allowed to smoke, and then 16 you're allowed they're different ages. And I think similarly with phones, that should be introduced at a much later age. Um, I don't think parents realize just how dangerous it is. We find children watching porn, children uh, getting involved with gangs, um, children accessing uh, the most horrible stuff and how mean they are to each other. Um, I mean, I know all my staff would want to put up the quotations of things that we have found from kids on their phones. I mean, it's shocking stuff. And parents don't believe it. And then when our heads of the year put the stuff in front of them and said, look, this is what your child is saying online, then they realize. Um, and I think we're sort of kidding ourselves. And I wouldn't say that that's just kids in the city. I'd say that's all kids everywhere. And um, parents just don't know. Um, and we're living in a bit of a fantasy world. Uh, it's also the case that kids just quickly learn how to use that stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's not the case that you, you're going to imagine that suddenly your, your, your child is 21 and they have no idea how to use a phone. It just, that doesn't happen. Um, that's because they're accessing it in all kinds of different ways. And I always say don't give children unsupervised access to the internet. And that's not just on the phone, but obviously the phone is, is usually unsupervised because they're out, they're out and about with it. But it can also happen on a laptop. You should always be watching the screen um, because the internet's a really dangerous place. And, um, you know, I mean, it's it also, you know, if, if your child's only on social media, the girls are, are, are making themselves look so much older and they're trying to attract uh, boys or men who are much older than them. It's, it, 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 it's horrifying. And um, 
parents just don't know. They, they would never invite these people. Their children are meeting people online who they would never invite into their home. And then their child then lies to them. And um, there are children who have been murdered. <laughs> and then, then there's just the point about breaking their brains. They're no longer able to concentrate. They can't read books because, uh, you know, if you give a little toddler a phone and then try and get him to read, it's much more difficult because the phone has lots of colors and lots of explosions and so on. And of course, a book is black and white. It cannot compete. And well, life so in what, general, not just a book. I mean, when you've, yeah. when you've had enough explosions and whiz-bangs and not the how dull and matte and boring every reality must be after that. Exactly. And often the children who are suffering the most from this are the ones from the most disadvantaged backgrounds. And um, what the middle classes don't realize is that they, with some of the habits that they then just think, well, this is normal, this is what we talk about, and they say, oh, why don't we just give freedom to everybody? It's destroying the lives of people who don't necessarily have uh, the, the safety nets that middle classes might have, or the, 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 the hired help to help them, or the ability to take away the phone or the laptop. They just don't have that. And, um, and those of us on the front line see the damage that's done daily. Uh, and then when we talk about it, people who don't have that experience think that we're exaggerating. But why would we exaggerate? I mean, I've been looking at it for me. I'm just telling you all the truth in the hope that people will listen. Oh, I, no, I think everyone is aware of what happens with excessive phone use. I mean, it, it, it's, uh, uh, it's not just a problem for children. But just, just coming back to the idea of introducing things as kids get older, I mean, I was struck as you were talking that actually, legally, we are generally raising the age of consent as a country. Uh, in the last 10 years, 15 years, we've raised the age of consent at which you can get a tattoo, uh, use a sunbed, buy a knife, uh, buy cigarettes, you know, uh, get Botox. Uh, and yet, weirdly, there doesn't seem to be any equivalent spillover of that approach into education, where it's all still what you were talking about in the film there, is child-led and, and let it all come out. Now, what, what, how, how would you explain that discrepancy, do you think? Well, I think people remember their old school days, and they remember some boring teacher who just talked to them all the time, and they think, I don't want school to be like that. And they imagine that a progressive classroom is a lot more interactive and a lot more fun. That's what they imagine. And that you need to make education, you know, school fun. But they don't understand that fun, there's superficial fun, and then there's really satisfying fun. And, you know, when our kids are talking about Shakespeare, they're happy. They love it. They find it fun. <laughs> and it's fun because they know it and they understand it. And anyone in this room, whatever your professions are, you will love what you do because you know it really well. And then the more you do it, the more you come to love it. And that, that for some reason, we don't get that. And then we think what we need to do is play a game in the classroom. We need to get them up out of their chairs and running around and sticking paper paint on their foreheads and, 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 and all this sort of stuff, which is just wasting time. When actually what you want to do is inspire children, give them lots of knowledge so that they can take that knowledge and do something with it, and then acquire more knowledge. Ultimately, what you're doing is you've got a bunch of coat pegs in your head. That's what you're doing. You're creating all these coat pegs. And when they then learn more knowledge, they have a coat peg to hang on. And then another piece over there, and they hang on to that coat peg. And it makes more and more, you know, just building, building, building. And then when they leave you, you know, for the rest of their lives, they're, they're, they're hanging on those coat pegs, lots of more knowledge that they learn. And I think often adults can, um, 
They forget how much they didn't know as children, and they can forget how much their own knowledge helps them understand the world. And so when, and they, and they don't realize that there are kids in, in the inner city who won't know where Paris is. You know, they don't know some basic information that all of us take for granted. And we imagine that, oh, well, in the day, day and age of Google, you can just Google it. But is Paris a chair? Is it a table? Is it a, is it a room? What is it? I don't know. You know, like, if you have no idea, it's very hard. And you can't just be sitting there Googling everything all the time. <laughs> you need to have a, a knowledge that you are then, that's how what gets you through life. And um, our kids depend entirely on us at school to give them that knowledge. And like I was saying in the thing about Johnny and Amy, you know, um, the thing is, is that little Johnny is dependent on us. And if we don't give him that knowledge, then he just thinks he's stupid. And what ends up happening is that he will then, because he feels out of sorts and he feels dumb, in order to uh, gain a little bit more self-respect, he starts knocking David next door and starts knocking, you know, um, Jane on the other side. And there they are going like this. And then, well, he, Johnny gets kicked out. And then he gets kicked out again and again. And he starts falling further and further behind until eventually we say, well, he must have a special need. And then he never really learns anything very much at all. And then we say, well, it was because he was poor. But it isn't because he was poor. And this, that's just one, this happens over and over and over again. And well-meaning people end up, I think, not doing what's right uh, for children. But then, of course, the problem with trying to do what's right, you know, if you type my name into Google, you know, if you type who's the strictest teacher in the world, my name comes up. <laughs> and um, and that isn't people say, oh my goodness, you know, you don't want to be super strict. But um, I think it's a great thing because the kids get to learn sensibly. Um, in a classroom that's quiet, um, and all of the traditional methods we use means that the kids are so impressive with the stuff that they know. And anyway, they, they won't be doing that because you don't allow them unsupervised internet time, as you just said. So we're, we're, we're buying reputation with you know, on Google. But I wanted to ask you about the the, 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 the national the nationality point, the long line. You were just talking about Shakespeare, and you were talking about it there in the in the movie, and and you know. But the obvious point to make about Shakespeare is that everyone feels that he's universal. You know, Goethe was convinced that he was a spiritual German who'd somehow been accidentally born in the wrong place. You know, G.K. Chesterton was convinced he was an Orthodox Catholic. Uh, Maya Angelou said he was a black woman. I was the only person growing up as a little girl. I knew that Shakespeare was a black woman. Everybody who's read it open-mindedly, the way your kids do, feels that, that connection. It was kind of bizarre that, that anyone ever suggested that, that uh, uh, you know, it was only for for one group of, of people. Like, it'd be like arguing that you can't watch ballet unless you're Russian or something. Um, do you think, though, that the, the, the identity that you're uh, promoting, the sense of togetherness, is just about sharing this space? Or do you think that there are values particular to the UK that are not found in other countries or are less widely found in other countries, but that are worth inculcating, worth promoting the kids? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, um, I think the first point about in any country, you want to instill a sense of belonging because uh, we all have to live together. <laughs> and we all ha have different religions and different backgrounds and different ways of doing things. Um, and that's the one thing we have in common. Um, 
But then I also think that Britain um, is a beautiful country. I think it's a beautiful country because we have the rule of law and we have democracy and we have, um, you know, I mean, we don't always like our politicians, but, but we have politicians who, um, who try and do the right thing. And I would say that from, you know, either side, you know, I mean, every now and again you get some exceptions, but when you think of many other countries around the world, that isn't true. Um, it's, um, we, we allow people to live how, how they want to live. You know, we're not, we haven't got a police force that will throw gay people off buildings. You know, we haven't, we, we haven't got a police force that will stop women from doing, you know, having various freedoms. You know, we, we got people who are generally speaking trying to do the right thing. And we don't necessarily agree all the time. But, um, and even the people who I'm sort of arguing against in this film and so on, uh, they're in schools, working hard, trying their best for their kids. Um, so we, we, have, um, we have a history, a really intri interesting history that is um, something I think to be proud of. Uh, of course, uh, Britain um, didn't always do the right thing. But um, but but we did some good things. <laughs> so, I mean, that's that's really important. Perspective, mm -hmm. being able to put things in context, yeah. being you know, being able to make uh, legitimate comparisons. So, other other than the Queen, you are possibly the woman who most embodies the Commonwealth. We, we heard a little uh, <laughs> snippet of your uh, uh, of your uh, your your CV. Uh, you know, uh, parents from Guyana, Jamaica, born in. Auckland, grew yeah. up in Toronto, yeah. and then came here, yeah. which, which I, I guess gives you a certain uh, sort of bird's eye view of things. I mean, I, tell me if this is wrong, but it seems to me that an awful lot of the uh, the, the, the kind of anti-colonial anger that you get in other British schools, you, know, you were flying the flag, I can think of a secondary school not a million miles from here where the kids went and, and burned it, right? Uh, mm -hmm. To the horror of their parents, by the way. I spoke to the the, the, the chairman of government there after season, the, the parents who were almost all first generation immigrants were saying, we will back the school whatever action you take. This was something they picked up here. Uh, the, 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 but I wonder whether a lot of that isn't just about perspective. That you, of course we've had our shameful moments, which country hasn't? But very rarely do people ask the question, okay, where else down the centuries would you rather have been poor or female or uh, from a religious Seriously, where? Russia, Japan, you know, Abyssinia, Mecca, where? And if education is about anything, it's surely about giving people the framework, the lattice work on which to hang things so that they can make dispassionate narratives. Mm. Yeah, no, exactly. And um, look, I mean, our kids, I feel like it's our role in society to teach our children well, to equip them with the knowledge and skills that they need to make the most of their lives. Um, but it's also to make them feel grounded and make them feel like they belong because that's going that will make them successful. But it will also just make them into good people who um, feel confident enough to be kind to others, who can look at somebody else who's different to them and feel a connection with them um, and not be tribal. The thing about if you don't have a country, if you don't have a nation state that binds you, then that encourages everybody to reduce to their own tribe. And that's no way for a country to get on with each other. <laughs> um, uh, 
it, so yes, on the one hand, it's practical, but then on the other hand, it's lovely. You know, my favorite that we sing is I Vow to Be My Country. And it, it's just so beautiful, and it's lovely for us all to sing that together. It's like um, when the football team, you know, England football team goes out, they wear the England shirt, you know, like, <laughs> that's what you do when you're a team, you're all together. And um, we were talking to Year 11 this morning, um, Sam, who's in there, and I were talking at the assembly and, and uh, saying to them, come on, because they've got their exams on Monday. So Tavia, who's, you know, in the film, she's starting on Monday, and, um, and we were saying to them, come on, we've got to do this, and come on, and I was saying, do you know how lucky you are being in the school? And there's a sense of family. That's what, that, you know, all of us will know from the various teams that we've been part of. You've been, you're, you're part of a family at home, you're part of a team at work, you're part of a, of a larger team at work, and, and that, you know, keeps good leaders in any of these places Good mums and dads make you feel like you belong there and that you're all working together. And that if you mess up in some way, that there's a sense of shame that comes along with that, that you're letting everybody down in, in, in that little family of yours. And so that sense of duty towards others, uh, we talk about personal responsibility in there, you know. Um, these are all values that I would say 50 or 60 years ago, we just took for granted everybody had them. I, I could talk to you all night, but. I'm conscious of the time. I want to ask you a couple of final questions. First of all, about the rest of the estate education course. What's, go what's going on? What's going on with the teacher training? What's going on with the attitude? What's going on with the, the, the promotion of victimhood? I, I, okay, maybe I'm being naive. I don't believe anyone really goes into teaching for the money. People go into it out of a, a sense of vocation, out of a, 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 and yet we've all seen in other bathrooms how quickly the idealism gets turned into a kind of grumpy cynicism. Mm -hmm. uh, not, not, not everywhere, maybe not in most places, but we all know that there are some places like that. You're, you're outstandingly not Christian. What's going on elsewhere? Well, I understand the grumpy cynicism, um, because when kids are being rude to you, not just daily, but several times a day, um, where they're swearing at you, or when there's fights breaking out, or when you spend a lot of time preparing a lesson and the kids don't really listen to you and they're not grateful for it, it's very um, upsetting for teachers. Uh, because they, I've known so many teachers in my career who have given their, their lives. I mean, they work so hard for these kids. And um, I do think that it's uh, our role in leadership to create an environment where those teachers can teach and where the children can learn. But unfortunately, because we leaders can be shamed into feeling like we're bad people if we want to make things strict or if we want to teach in a traditional fashion, the pressure on us is such to be a so-called nicer person and then let things go. And then that means that the teachers are then ill-treated and they get upset and then they leave, you know? And so you're just going round and round in circles. I mean, ultimately, it, uh, it, it's not just about the schools, it's about our society and what our society values. And if our, if our society values uh, being the biggest victim, then that's what people are going to promote in schools. If, if, if our society values, does not value personal responsibility, then that's not going to happen in schools. And it's, I think, unreasonable of us as a society to expect schools to all go against the grain. <laughs> Um, only kind of crazy people like me want to do that, you know. Um, most people just want to be able to uh, 
do what everyone does and not be hated for it, you know? Final question. You've been asked this hundreds of times, including by me, but I still think it's the most important question. How can we replicate what you've achieved in Brent? How can we get hundreds of schools like yours around the country? Well, we need to change society. You know, it, it, it's, it's schools are next. You know, they're, they're part of society. We need to change our expectations of each other. We need to stop talking in the way that we currently do, um, which promotes the opposite to what we're saying in, in that film. Um, and then schools will be able to follow in, in that trend, I think. So it's for all of us, all of us in this room, uh, to question some of our beliefs and to think, oh, well, maybe you know, God save the Queen isn't so bad. <laughs> well, um, thank you for everything you've done, but I'm, I, I don't want to, to, to end this interview without extending my thanks to your staff, who are absolutely awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, it was quite wonderful. Uh, I would, um, I'd almost say, you know, if you want to, but I And thank you, all of you, in whatever way, I, I know that there are people in the room who have supported Michaela, you know, financially or, 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 or politically, and I know that there are people who are working there, and one who I, I just met who's planning to come and work there. Uh, every one of you, how fantastic to be able to come and feel that you're not just drawing a paycheck, that you're making a difference, you're making a difference in the most impressive way. And whatever it says about you on Google, Catherine, you've left behind the best oh, monument we have, you. which is a load of, uh, of children well, who are better. Now, well, before we end, there's just a couple of, I do want to say thanks to the staff because they are extraordinary and you only saw some of them up there and I wish you could see more of them and you're all very welcome to see them at work, at school, you know, uh, our kitchen staff, our premises staff, our office staff and our teachers are just out of this world, you know, they, I meet with my senior team every morning at 7 o'clock and staff are all in there at 7 a.m. earlier than that every single day and um they do that because they believe in, in what we do and it's just such a privilege to work with all of them um i also as i said need to thank nell butler who gave us a chance you know she made this film she opened her mind and heart to us and allowed us to uh persuade her Nell, can you come up here please um <laughs> This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, 
podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.wetherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure the bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us... You'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. Hi, I'm with Barry. Um, after the plunge of... Uh the unmistakable truth about schools. Barry, what are your thoughts? I loved it, I loved the film, it was good fun. I didn't even cry, which is very unlike me. There's a little uh, little bit about a young lad called Angelo, desperate to get into school, his parents want him in school. He gets in the school, his mother breaks down. I had a little bit of a moist eye there, um, but apart from that, I didn't cry. Good, loved it very much. Um, what will the press reaction be? Oh, I don't give a bugger. I'm just tired of it. Um, what will be great is whatever the press reaction is, Castellan will jump up and she'll defend herself, which is what I like about it most. OK, and, I mean, uh, interestingly, you mentioned that. It's going to be on ITV, so what do you think the public reaction is going to be? Oh, again... Because it is going to bring a lot of attention, isn't it? It was Castellan's source of attention. Uh, I don't really mind too much. Detractors very rarely visit the school. If you visit the school, then maybe you can have an opinion on it. Unless you go, then your opinion isn't particularly useful, I don't think. Do you, go, think, that, do you think that Michaela can be replicated? Well look, well, look what I did in Charter. Charter in Great Yarmouth, 65% free school meals, a decade. Yeah, but would you say Great Yarmouth was a success for you as a leader? Yeah, because the grades doubled. Uh, it was a gorgeous culture. We had visitors from all around the world. Uh, often described it as a miraculous turnaround. 
Then we did Hackney New School, turn that road. I took some head teachers to Hackney New School uh, a couple of weeks ago and they went, oh my God, it's like Michaela. They're wrong, it's not Michaela. But you can make schools really pleasant places to be, but you have to have the backbone to do it. Catherine's got that backbone. Do you think a lot of it comes down to guts? It comes down to a willingness to be disliked and go, no, I'm going to stick with my values. Um, you're not going to please all the people all the time. Just don't even try. Go with what you believe in. But how do you handle that then if people are critical of you? Like you had, I know in, in Great Yarm, if you had a lot of oh, criticism. God, yeah. Listen, Google me, Attila the Hun's evil brother. Um, so how do you deal with that? Do you just go home at night and go, like in all honesty though, Barry, do you just go home at night and go, oh well, because for me, I, that would chew me up. I would think about what's been said. I would probably, this is my personality, I would ruminate on it and it would, it would get to me, you know, over time. Um, not everything would, but if, if it, depending on what was being said, I couldn't just block out the noise and carry on and have that belief. Is, is there a, a point where the belief in what you do goes into kind of like putting the blinkers on? Um, I guess it's all blinkered because if you, if, you have a, if you have a guiding light, you have a guiding light. So that guiding light allows you to stop being distracted. You know there'll be distractors. There'll always be distractors. Fine. I look around. I see the kids I work with. More importantly for me, I see the staff I work with that is all for me about protecting the staff. Because if the staff are happy, then happy staff are going to be good with the kids. So, look, in the worst times of Charter, and the worst times of Hackney, when people are on our doorstep, reporters trying to create awful things about us. Catherine, uh, when we were at uh, Michaela there, and you get, oh God, you get, I get messages like, uh, oh, you're like Jimmy Savile. I hope he died of cancer. I hope it's slow. I mean, oh, you, know, you look around the kids you work with, you look around the staff you work with, and you go, I sleep well in my bed. Is there anything that you've uh, taken in your role in, in, the, in Great Yarmouth, New uh, Hackney New School, preschool, whatever it's called? Um, what is it called? It was Hackney New School, it's been rebranded. Right. So yeah. it's not my fault. Um, but taking that, is, are the things that you have not done from Michaela? I don't do family lunch. I think it's a, I don't think the return on investment is, is what it takes. Um, uh, oh God, yeah, there, there are yeah. lots of things. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, I'm not particularly a royalist, um, but poetry is massive. Uh, I love lots and lots of poetry and all that performance. All the naughty kids who are in internal uh, isolation all the time, they all know all of the poems really well. And that's a talking point. It's something that bonds us. Yeah. And those kids feel a sense of accomplishment. And they feel clever. Yeah. Barry, thanks for the chat, mate. I don't want to hold you up. Enjoy the rest of your pint. And, uh, and keep podcasting. Always, always. You can't shut me up. Thank you, sir. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.